Welcome to episode number five of the Lucid Spiritual Podcast. I'm very happy to present part two of the interview I had with my wife, Carolee, and where we talked about all these different things that we experienced during our transition over the last 18 months, um, and more importantly, the last year of our life. So without further ado, here we go. This path of spirituality is synonymous with freedom, and it's freedom of expression in every way is what I've come to realize. It's like, oh, like I can't judge anything. Like if a person wants to be gay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Like if a person wants to be open marriage, if a person wants to um, use explicit Ill illicit drugs or if they want to, like who am I to judge these people? Like it's just not my place. We're all on the same path because look, we're all reincarnating. We're all um, experiencing these lives and we may be in different places in our awakening, in our awareness of self. And so it's not my place to go and judge. In fact, it's now a place of empathy that I can have, understanding that, hey, I once was there, or, um, you know, like understanding that they, they've had their own experiences in life, and those experiences in life um, lead them to their current state of consciousness, right? Yeah, I feel like it just being, being there for people and saying, I'm here for you unconditionally, it's the true, the true idea of unconditional love, I think is really crucial here too. Because mm -hmm. yep. accepting, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that all of these behaviors are choices that I would ever make or, or that I, you know, you see, you see individuals suffering, but rather than judge them and condemn them and shame them and say it's their own fault for their pain, you can now see a bigger picture of these are all catalysts. These are all life lessons. These are all things that we need um, that we've chosen to experience until we don't need to experience them anymore, then we can choose new experiences. And having that kind of free future, I guess I should would call it, is something that leaving Mormonism at first is a scary part about leaving Mormonism, kind of like what you already talked about, where you don't have it mapped out anymore. But it's also the most liberating part, or one of the most liberating parts, you know? Well, and Jesus on liberation, like Jesus talked about this. He said... Um, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, what truth is he talking about there? The truth he's talking about there is the truth of the self. That is the only truth to know. It's the truth of the self. And then you realize you're free. There is no culture or dogma or contract or binding belief that you have to subscribe to at all. You can make anything your creator. You've been given the same power of creation you just need to realize that power. And so freedom is such an important component of the spiritual path, and we have to let everyone do their thing. And this is, I was always a patriot, American patriot, before, like during my, my time in religion. But I've become now, now a proponent of just total freedom. And, oh man, it even gets me more um, bothered about the how just confining our laws have become. You can't teach your kids a certain way. You can't do healthcare a certain way. You can't have, um, you can't even, you know, like with insurance and stuff, like you can't choose the way that you want to actually have health. Like, oh yeah, we don't cover uh, alternative health, blah, 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 because it's not blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, just who, can, who gives a fuck, <laughs> right? Like who gives a fuck how I want to govern my life? What? Like it just, it's amazing to me just when you take a step back how many people want to tell you how to live your life? Oh my hell. There is so many people that want to tell you how to live your life and you don't even realize it and you're constantly doing it for these people. Well, and not only is that is there that energy of 
you know, people, organizations, companies, everything, religions saying this is how you need to live your life. It, the general consensus is also, and this is how everybody else needs to live their life too. And I think that the true spiritual path is accepting that my life, the way I'm living it, can be and is different than your life and the way and you're living sh- it. And, not only and I accept it. I accept your accept path. It. I understand that you're on the journey that you're on and I don't need, you know, in Mormonism, we both serve missions, right? And in Mormonism, you have this idea of everybody needs to have this message and yeah, eventually everybody every member will, a missionary. will know exactly what I know. And now I really just believe that I, I can accept that everybody's just needs to know God, but they can know God in their own time and in their own, own place. And But also a step beyond that, it's not like you never, you don't come down from this perspective of like, oh, now I have the truth and you, you just like need to get to it. It's such a, that's just like one of the traps you fall in. I think when you leave is like this idea that, oh, now you found a new truth and everybody should follow what you've got because it's worked for you. And that's just not it because everybody's where they're at, where they need to be right now. Um, you may be at a place where you're trying to transition and this may have fallen into your experience, this podcast, for that reason. So take heed to what experiences are coming into your awareness because those are signs from um, from your higher self and they probably are planned out things. So, you know, give heed to everything you're experiencing, your feelings, you know, the day-to-day walk, um, the synchronicities, et cetera. So again, the, the freedom that you should offer all people, do not look at, you know, never look down at whatever path they're on or whatever path you're on. It's all, I mean, spiritual advancement comparison, which happens in religion, right? Because there is that climb to the top, right? Of, of being, oh, I've got this calling and I've got, you know, now this authority and I hold this priesthood key and blah, blah, blah. Like it's all there. And you definitely, there's definitely a rank system in, in the church with how, you know, quote unquote, spiritual a person is. Um, and that just doesn't exist in real spirituality. Well, and thank goodness it's just not even existing in our sphere anymore. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, the people that we, that was another thing. We got, I mean, new friends, so many new friends and new experiences and like, um, like that vibrate at your frequency, you know? Because like, that's one of the fears. It's like, oh, I don't have, well, what, what will all my friends do if I leave? They're not going to talk to me anymore. Or, you know, some people could have that fear. I mean, there has been judgments. For sure. And, you know, assumptions and... It's just, you just have to release that other people's view. And this has been, again, I kind of referred to this back at the beginning of tonight. One of my biggest experiences in all of this has been a journey of healing, a journey of self-love, a journey of self-acceptance, a journey of trusting my answers in my relationship with God. And in doing that, I trust that other people have their own path. And so when they try to butt up against my path or try to tell me that my path's wrong, the foundation that I now have of trust in myself allows them to have their opinions without having it affect too deeply. I'm still human. Sometimes it still does affect me. Oh yeah, of course. But it's just that's- But we're learning. We're learning learning how to not let it affect you because the only reason why it affects us or anyone for that matter is because of how they've identified with it. So anytime you're triggered by anything, this is a key that you've identified with the thing that you're triggered by. Um, so whether that's a thing that's opposite to that or the, the thing that is that, um, a good example is, is, you know, I've got a good example that I could share. We can maybe end right, the story. All right. So, um, my example for that, um, <laughs> just a personal example of, I, I, 
of being triggered by a personal identity, right? Like yeah, what is, what you is? you used to tease me about the French language. Oh yeah, and we finally figured out really what that was yeah, all about. Yeah. So here's the story. Um, you know, I studied abroad. I actually have loved, I've loved the French language and, and the French culture since I was really, really young. I started taking French at age 12. And so I had a lot of my own personal identity wrapped up in, in this, in this culture, in this experience, in this language, in what I knew of that and had spent very, very monumental moments of my single adult life you know, like when I was living in Paris doing that study abroad, those are some of my most fondest memories where I felt the most free, free to just be me. I lived in Paris with a camera around my neck, f- taking rolls and rolls and rolls of film at 20. I turned 21 in the south of France. And so every time I would make like, French crepes or talk about French, you know, I have this dream to like live in the French countryside for a year. Like I just want to take my whole family and like plop ourselves in this beautiful little French villa on the Loire Valley. Oh my goodness. That would be so dreamy. Anyway, Britain, you know, you would tease Well, me. because when I did, it set you off. Oh, and so I got it became so a mad. button pushing thing. It yeah. was just like, eh, eh, yeah, you, you know, just, you just push my buttons and you would just say stuff about how dumb the French language was. All the silence, All silent the silent consonants and, and you just like make fun vowels, of Vowels probably. But what really got to me was when Emerson, without knowing a damn thing, starts repeating what you're saying more than he was honoring my love of the French language. Right. Anyway, Emerson's our, our boy. Our nine-year-old, yeah. So all of this story to say, every time he'd bring up French and tease me about the language, I would get so triggered and so pissed at him. And I'd like fire at him like we were having a full-on fight. <laughs> and because he, her identity was tied up in that. So and what we realized is I literally took it as a personal attack. felt like instead of him just making fun of the French language, he was making fun of me. And, and this is this is a really good point because we use something very simple like, oh, like you identify a little bit as this person that's like into French and how we get attached to those identities that we have and they, because we create meaning around them and we start to believe certain things around those identities. And so when that identity becomes under any sort of perceived attack, we're under attack, right? And so it's so beautiful to recognize this because then you, it's a, it's like another key, you know, by their fruits, you shall know them is a great key to follow. This is another key. And that is anytime you're triggered, you're identifying with something. Now, what's wrong with that? Or what's right with that? Well, you decide what's wrong or right. I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you that the attachment is the source of suffering. So as you attach to things or ideas or thoughts or labels or what have you, you're going to align yourself with suffering eventually. Um, and this is a very small and simple example that actually was a strong trigger for my wife. And um, it's, and as soon as she identified it, it was easy for her to like, Oh my gosh, you still, still tri- love the French in the same exact way, but detach herself from it so that there's no suffering involved. Well, and then <laughs> and I can't push her button anymore. You can't, you can't push my button anymore. And now all the kids are saying how much they love the French language and they want to go to France with me. <laughs> like there's still more conflict because I've completely eliminated the ability to have that button pushed while still undeniably being obsessed with everything French. Right. So this is the, these are some of the, the fruits of following your own spiritual path is you get to learn, oh yeah, like I need to heal in all these ways. There's so much healing that needs to happen, right? That was one tiny little healing example, but we've got really big ones that we'll share in, in other episodes that are going to be um, really impactful, I think, for people. But like, yeah, the spiritual path is one of not only getting to understand self, your true nature 
and your eternal identity and that you've identified with a temporal um, body and how that has brought you much misery, right, in, in the path. And so we, in the spiritual path, we find a way to balance our, our preferences and attachments. It's okay to have preferences and love things and uh, enjoy things. But when you attach to that and you identify with it, then you're opening yourself up for um, a spiritual relapse, if you will, like a, a, a damnation sort of concept where you can't move forward until you've worked out letting go of that attachment and that identity because everything here is temporary. One of the books that, that is, it, it, I would consider it a very advanced teaching material is called A Course in Miracles. And with, as my spiritual path unfolded over the last 14 months, I've, I've been led to a lot of books, and this was one of them, and it's interesting how each book comes into my lap. But it opens up with, um, it opens up with a, a saying that I think is really powerful. The, the saying is, nothing real can be threatened, and nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. And so when, I'm, when I quote that in the context of this identity stuff we're talking about, well, it's just not real. Like your real, your true reality is eternal. And so it can never be threatened. It can never, ever be threatened. It just is. And there's, there's nothing that can damage it, take it away, diminish it, break it. It's just constant. It's the unchanging being that is called, you know, like when God's referred to as an unchanging being, that's who you are. Uh, nothing unreal exists. So all of these concepts we built about our identity, those aren't real. And they don't even exist. We've just created them in our mind. It's all mental construct. Herein lies the peace of God. So like we, we realize that we are this true eternal being and like, oh yeah, I can be at peace because everything here is temporary. And I should just do my best to love the experience as I go. Joy in the journey. <laughs> oh, my. oh, hell. Faith in every footstep. Uh, these are, it's, it's great teachings, but it's so misapplied. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Yeah, so it, the spiritual path is is a fun one actually because then you start to you start to have this relationship with spirit that's actually humorous and you get to see how when you when you reflect back on your life just how like God if you will or your your higher self set up very um ironic scenarios in your life or just really interesting things that you're like oh my god that's so funny like only a master planner would have can created this sort of coincidence to happen in my life. Well, there are no coincidences. Exactly. Right. So, so you realize it's like, yeah, that's like, like my brother, Nate, you know, and his, he's born on, he, he was born on 420. Now at the time when we were kids, we only knew it as like Hitler's birthday. Um, but we, so we always, oh, Nate's, Nate's like born on 420 is Hitler's birthday. But like, you know, fast forward a number of years and he, he starts this, CBD company co-found, you know, co-starts this CBD company with, with Chase and, and Talon and, and Saren and like, it's the marrow, like it's hemp, it's the 420 plant, you know, and it's just, it's just things like that, like, <laughs> you know, are so interesting because they're so coincidental, like, oh yeah, and his, his patriarchal blessing said that he'd blaze the trail, <laughs> just like, okay, such humor, you know, that are in the way, and, and again, I'm giving credit to a patriarchal blessing for having some, and it's true, they have relevant information in them. So on the note of patriarchal blessings, I, I completely agree that, you know, one thing that I hope people understand from listening to 
your podcast here is that you don't have to throw every single thing out. Like there's spiritual relevance throughout your whole life, even in Mormonism, even if you've left Mormonism, even as you're leaving, you know? And so like there was a part in my patriarchal blessing that I think prohibited me from, from leaving out, out of fear a lot earlier from acting in ways um, that might have facilitated my exit from the church sooner than it has been. And and what I'm referring to, um, I'll share because I find it extremely relevant. Um, and there's a point that I want to make about this. But, you know, in my blessing, it states, now, for those of you who aren't Mormon, a patriarchal blessing is, a patriarch is a specific man who's set aside. Uh, it's kind of a, almost like a fortune tell sort of thing. It's like tells you, more about your, well, it's a primary purpose is to tell you your connection to the tribes of Israel. Yeah, that is. Your lineage to that. But a lot of times it's very common for a patriarch to also at the same time, like kind of bestow this like a blessing upon you that, you know, could have insights about the present, the past and the future. Right. So there was this segment in mine, which talked about the word of wisdom. Now for those in Mormonism, you know exactly what I'm referring to. For those not, the Word of Wisdom was uh, given to Joseph Smith, and in it, there are recommendation, recommendations. It's just the, it's just the church's stance on alcohol, tobacco, illicit drugs. Yeah, exactly. So, in, but it's it's part of it's scriptural, and then the modern version of it's just more dictated by like the the, the current leadership. Right, but culturally, I mean, the Word of Wisdom is is upheld very high culturally in the church. So, like. You know, when, you, when people know Mormons don't drink, it's because of the word of wisdom. Um, like for example, when we told your mom that we drink, she like teared up. Yeah, it was it was hard for because her. Because it was like, oh no, oh my God, She's, my kids are so wayward. Well, just bless her heart, my mom's. Anyway, <laughs> um, so in my, in my patriarchal blessing, it, it states that my faithfulness in keeping the word of wisdom will protect me from the destroying angel until my mission is complete on this earth. Now, I heard that. And I can tell you, I mean, I haven't even read it. I don't remember the last time I actually read my patriarch blessing. And yet I could say that really close to verbatim because it was so impactful on me. And it caused me to, you know, in high school when I maybe wanted to go to a party, in college when I was interested, once I was 21 and I actually could legally drink, like it prevented me from experiencing any of that out of fear. Fear of this destroying angel, like the devil, um, my soul being thrust down to hell. I don't, I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word destroying angel? Like, yeah. Again, nothing real can be threatened. Like death, like fear of what? Anyway. Um, so wouldn't you say that that was one of your guiding things too, is this concept of like, well, you wrote it down too, but for me, the fear versus love, and we yeah. can get into that right after you yeah. finish the story. So here I had this, this patriarchal blessing that basically counseled me a, a, to avoid you know, according to the word of wisdom, I mean, there's so much more in that set of scripture, um, like in what's written there, than than just avoid alcohol. <laughs> there's, you know, it's a recommendations on what to eat and how much and whatever. Uh, but to me, it was like and no, nobody actually follows the word of wisdom anyway, like to to the T. Yeah, except for in regards no, to there's alcohol. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. Some pe- but, but I'm saying no one in the church follows it. Yeah, right. Because you'd have to even abstain from meat. Sparingly, meat, yeah, eat, tobacco, sparingly. alcohol, eat like I mean, it's almost impossible for yeah. most anybody. So I felt that something about the word of wisdom. If I if I drink alcohol, then the destroying angel would have power over me. 
But but here's the lesson that I'm trying to point out with this. Do I drink alcohol now? Well, yes. We've already talked about it. We've already talked about how we enjoy wine. You're you're quite the wine connoisseur these yeah, days. I really I really do enjoy it. Um, but the true sense of healing, I actually, as I started to, when, while we were still going to church, but also enjoying wine occasionally, you know, I had that cognitive dissonance or that kind of like fear creep up in my mind of like, how is the destroying angel going to come around the corner and grasp me? You know, this, this sort of reconciliation with this verse and, and what I realized and what I learned as I've been on this healing journey is that you have to stare the quote unquote destroying angel in the face. It's your shadow and the fear of something Oh my goodness, when you make it twilight sound. The fear, it's the fear of something that makes it it come forward to you, right? And so a lot of times energy workers, they call their healing, the you know, the dark night of the soul or shadow work or, you know, you name it, something along those lines of like getting into the real depths of darkness and, and embracing it, actually. Yeah. So, and not embracing the evil. This is not what that means. It, it's it's understanding that since you are made in the image of God, you, you are a micro, so, so you're a microcosmic duplicate, if you will, copy of the macrocosmic universe. So all things that are contained within the universe are also contained within you. And right. so you have to own your own darkness. You have to understand that, oh, that darkness is actually in me. Not. I'm going to actually, this is kind of a precursor to an episode I'm working on about Satan, the devil, sin, and punishment, and understanding the context of all that and like how it's just the teaching is so false and so um, misused that it, it, well, because it creates fear. Right. So here I realized that instead of sitting with this patriarchal blessing out of fear that the destroying angel, if I drank, would then just consume me. I realized that, first of all, my faithfulness in keeping the word of wisdom, I mean, who's to say that like the way that, you know, the word of wisdom is interpreted by mainstream Mormonism today is actually what how it was intended. Like that's up for debate too. We can go there another time. Because um, I, I really think that the way in which it's revered and looked at and counseled is, is not necessarily correct. But um, I digress. The, the point that I'm getting to though is I realized that I was acting from a place of, oh, I'm afraid of what might be. And once I released that and said, bring it, destroying angel, let me see my shadow. Let me truly realize that I can, I don't need to have the power of anything over me. I can always choose. I'm going to walk down a path and what and, am and I going to choose? Yeah, that's the empowering concept is, you know, there's just no actor out there that's going to get you. Um, you are only your own judge. Yeah, you know? and, and so it was so empowering. In fact, I, I actually still really love that part of my patriarchal blessing because it's a reminder to me of the choice that I make every day to walk with God and to choose the light paths while still sitting in the darkness. Like you have to see your shadow. You have to face your demons. You have to. What did Jesus do? Remember before he went up on the uh, in his ministry, um, he went and had those three temptations. And we... You know, they're, they're spoken of in the New Testament as like, um, you know, the Satan tempted him, like Satan. Satan did Satan took him to all these places and was like, I'll give you this. No, that was his own ego doing it. That was Jesus having these thoughts of like, that was the satanic dark side of Satan, of Jesus, right? That was in him because he's the same as we are. 
Um, and it was like his opportunity had come to like really make a huge change on this planet. And he was about to begin and embark on that. And before he did that, he needed to face his darkness, which was like, dude, with, with my, with these powers that I have that I've cultivated over decades of study, um, and this understanding I have, like I could, I could rule this planet. I could rule at least Jerusalem, you know, or he could use it for whatever purpose. And again, you know, we always think, oh, would you know, Jesus had pure intent. That's why he was able to perform miracles is because of his pure intent. Well, sure. But it wasn't because he was righteous. Um, you can use these powers for good or bad. You do it every day. Now he just had advanced ability to do these things. And so the dark side could have manifested. And I love that, that teaching about Jesus because it really was like a showing that he had a dark side too. Right. Well, and yeah, talking about Jesus, that makes me instantly think of Mary Magdalene and going back to this book, uh, Mary Magdalene revealed, which is, uh, expounding upon the gospel of Mary, um, which is not canonized in the traditional Bible, but everybody should read it because it's amazing. Um, anyway, Mary had, you know, if you read in the new Testament that she was cleansed of seven devils, well in Mary Magdalene revealed, that's expounded and explained to be instead of devils or demons, it's the seven aspects of her ego of ignorance of e yeah, ego ignorance that had to be cast out and that she gained true Christ consciousness through allowing Christ to guide her and teach her and like help heal her from those, you know, you got to walk through the darkness. You've got to go through the darkness anyway. So I find that when I've chosen now to live my life from a place of love and acceptance, it's so much more liberating than resonating in this place of fear. And it's made a huge impact on our, on our kids too. Our nine-year-old likes to talk to his friends a lot about all these different philosophies and things. And, you know, one of his cute little friends was playing in the backyard and said she was afraid of a ball. And he says to her that if she's not afraid of it, then it won't manifest in her face like she was afraid of getting kicked in the face by the ball he's like well don't be afraid of it because if you're afraid of it then you'll just come to you and, and it's true the more that you fear a thing the more you're going to bring that thing to pass and so yeah are the universe is constantly showing us ourselves and it's our it's just trying it's literally in trying to wake you up to hey you're you're creating your experience hello hello you're creating your experience all the time and what you're thinking about in the deep dark parts of your mind is what comes out first. It's not your most recent thoughts. It's those things you've buried and the fears that you've had and all that stuff that you've uh, attempted to push down, reject those emotional past, the trauma from the, from when you were in your childhood, whatever, all sorts of trauma that you've never truly fully co um, confronted and healed. That's what your experience is. And when you finally heal it, that's called doing shadow work, going into those dark places of fear, going into the dark places of hurt, of betrayal, of trauma, of pain, of injury even, that's when you can correct how you perceive that moment with your new understanding of self and new perspectives on life. Like you can step out of that old pattern of belief and you can look at it and say, no, actually I can understand this from a higher perspective and love what happened, meaning that you embrace and accept it. Would, was that a good definition? Yeah, well, just to kind of piggyback off of that, perfect love casteth out all fear. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a true thing because uh, love is un unconditional. Love is a neutralizing agent. So it doesn't matter what the emotion is. Um, it neutralizes it. 
because you can't have those negative emotions in the face of love. You just can't. It's just like, how do you get rid of unconditional love? You just can't do it. Like think of Jesus right on the cross or whatever. Like he's going around healing people and they want to kill him. Like finally he lets them because it didn't matter. Like he neutralized them by just loving what they wanted. Hey, you want to kill me? Okay, I'll let you kill me. He didn't really actually kill me. He didn't do anything. So, but that was all part of his plan anyway. So, um, I digress, but I think we've, I think we've got enough content in here for a couple of episodes. So I'm going to, we're going to wrap it up here, but we'll be back with Carolee on another, um, at least several more as we discuss and dissect our walk from, um, religion into the pra- practice of spirituality and what that meant for our family, our kids. You know, we've kind of touched a lot of the high points today. Um, but there's some, some details we want to kind of get into and, traps, um, gotchas, all those sorts of things What happen when you are starting to change your life and, and like change your perspective and the feelings that you're going to feel that, and they're going to come, there's going to be anger and hatred and you're going to want to judge the church and you're going to want to judge others. You may still be doing that now. And so instead of people and judging people outside the church and when you leave it, then you're going to turn back and look back at it and say, oh, I want to judge the church for what it did to me. It oppressed me and I'm a victim. And that's the worst like it's the easiest trap to fall in, but the worst one because victimization gets you nowhere. It's not a spiritual practice at all. It's a negative emotion and it doesn't bring you any um, freedom from suffering or anything. Oh, totally. And you're also going to possibly have experiences where you maybe get left out of things um, or you're not invited or included or, uh, and you're going to want to jump to conclusions that maybe it has to do with the fact that you're not in the same church category is the people participating. And so maybe they're excluding you because of your paths. And things will become more apparent, like your actual relationships in the ward or the stake, um, your neighbors and stuff that, you know, have embraced you because of your connection to, you know, the culture. And then when you step away from that, those might alter. Um, and, and so you're, you're going to find out the realness of those relationships in your life, like not just your family, but those kind of close to you geographically as well. And, and so like all these things happen, and it's nothing to be scared of. Again, don't fear anything because uh, there's nothing to fear except only fear. Yeah. Well, and I guess the whole point of even bringing any of this up is to let you know you're not alone. Right. You're not alone, that we felt it, we've been there, and hopefully some of the things that we've shared help you ground yourself when you're feeling anxious, um, unloved, you know, help you know that you matter and that your journey matters and that... You don't need to fear this path. Yeah, there's nothing, there's literally nothing to fear on the path. You'll, you'll be guided with each step if your intention is to be guided. So if you're, if you're like, I'm just, fuck it, I'm just going to go do whatever I, you know, I don't really believe anything anymore, then that's fine. That's what you need to do right now. Um, but if you're like, no, I, I really want to understand how to, to move on from this cultural dogma that I've been given and find myself is true inner desires and let those kind of be the life I live. Um, like how do I get guided? And I can tell you straight away, like there's people on the, uh, there's so many holy beings and entities of higher consciousness, including your higher self, God, the spirit, like who your guide, like so many people, um, just waiting for the moment of invitation. Because as soon as you do that, as soon as you give that moment of invitation, you're just going to bring all the energy 
into that into your experience. It's just going to come in like a tidal wave, and you're going to have so much help and feel so guided and so loved and so accepted. I'm not going to say that there's not hard times, because let's be honest, the last 2020 was not only the most amazing year of our life. It was a bit of a shit show too. Pretty much, <laughs> and. It was very hard, but it was so beautiful at the same time. And you can find the beauty in the difficult times. Shifting all your energy away from something that you've lived your whole life with all these expectations and all that stuff. Yeah, there's going to be some real challenges you're going to face. But that's what you that's what you want to do. That's the path you want to take. And this may apply to people that are currently not necessarily trying to leave the church or just stuck in a rut in some pattern in their life. And that pattern needs to be broken so that you can evolve to the next level. And when you allow yourself that freedom to do that and confront those dark shadows and all that fear, that's when the change happens. And it's amazing. I promise you it's amazing. And there's so much help for you. It's all going to be right there. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Lucid Spiritual Podcast. I'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you may have, or if you'd like to share your story for others to hear right on my podcast, drop me a line by visiting my website at lucidspiritual.com or email me at love at lucidspiritual.com. Let's wake up the world together. Have a blessed day. Love is real.